Uh, John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. There's a guy, his name was Pierre Paul Thomas. Uh, he loved hockey. However, he couldn't play hockey. Uh, he had to uh, watch, or he had to not participate in hockey as his brothers. Uh, were playing hockey up in Montreal, Canada in the 1940s. The reason why he couldn't play was because he was born blind. And he was born blind long before there was a cure available. Most of his life he could only imagine a world that people described to him. For years he walked around with a, a white cane trying to avoid the obstacles in front of him, teaching him how to navigate through this world that he can't see. Uh, but at the age of 66, he fell down the stairs in an apartment building and he fractured uh, many of the bones in his face. He was rushed to the hospital uh, with severe swelling around his eyes. A team of doctors went to do some of the repair work. Uh, and then later on, months later, he was examined by a plastic surgeon to discuss fixing his head, because his head had, had some injuries as well. As he was discussing it with the surgeon, the surgeon uh, casually asked Thomas, oh, while we're at it, do you want us to fix your eyes too? He didn't know how to respond to that. He didn't know what to say, nor did he really believe it. And he had to Asked the guy, and the guy said, yeah, there's been a surgery that's available. Not long after that, he could see for the first time. Uh, suddenly, his world consisted of bright colors that he'd never fathomed before. He spoke of being awestruck by flowers blossoming and trees blooming. As beautiful as that story is, there's a sad reality behind it. Because he could have had the same surgery decades earlier. He thought it was impossible. He resigned himself to a majority of his life living in blindness. It's sad, isn't it? When there's a cure for something and we fail to either see that cure, to know about that cure, or to partake in that cure. We couldn't really relate, maybe some of us could, to the physical blindness of both our friend here and our friend in the story. However, I want to point something out here. We're all like Pierre Paul Thomas. Each and every single one of us, because we're born in, born in sin, we are born spiritually blind. All of us, until we see the light of Christ, try to make sense of our world. Many, many, many walk around with a little spiritual cane, but in the end, we end up bumping into things, and eventually, if we continue in that blindness, we will fall, fall to our doom. Every single one of us falls into this category spiritually. It's kind of interesting because many people don't know that they have this condition, Many people actually go around thinking they can see. We're going to talk about some of those folks today. Many people think they see everything clearly. 
Uh, many people maybe have heard that they had this condition, but they actually, they don't want that operation. They're very, very, very comfortable. And maybe some of you uh, that are here today never heard of this. Maybe you don't know that you're spiritually blind, and maybe you don't know that there is a cure available. It's kind of sad uh, that people kind of resign themselves uh, to this condition, a condition of spiritual blindness. And like our friend Thomas, they miss out on all the true beauty of this world. Jesus wants to open your eyes, folks. He wants to open your eyes to a reality that apart from him, we will miss. We just won't see. We're going to look at, and we're actually going to take a spiritual eye exam. Uh, So there are two options, two results, two conditions uh, that can come forth from the spiritual eye exam. You can either have spiritual sight, you can see clearly, or you can be spiritually blind. So let's take this test together. And we'll start with the first one, spiritual sight, verses 35 through 38. Remember, we left our guy, and he was asked a bunch of questions and was told to kind of deny Jesus. He refused, and then he is put out from the synagogue, and we pick up there. Jesus had heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. First of all, I read this, I get a little upset because this is the easiest evangelism that has ever been done, I think, in the entire world, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you just love to come up to someone and be like, hey, do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Who, can you tell me about him? And then, and then you tell them about him, and they're like, I believe, and then they bow down and worship. Easy done, become a member of the church, take a spiritual gifts test, get involved, and then go preach the gospel, right? I wish, <laughs> it's like, okay, but I, there's something about that, though. Who's talking to him? Jesus. Okay, so now, now we have a real, real important aspect about what it means to see and how we see. Number one, spiritual sight is initiated by God. It is initiated by God. Now look at this man's journey right here, and there are a few things that we, we have to see. We're going to use that little pun a lot, so hopefully you don't get too tired of it, but... The guy's put out of the synagogue. I don't think that we would find this man in this situation had he caved or capitulated to the Pharisees, would we? If he had said, no, I'm going to, yeah, Jesus is a sinner. You guys are the ones who can see. Would we find him right here? Probably not. Uh, But notice what happens. It's after he's put out of the synagogue that Jesus does what? He looks for him. And he finds him. What a, what a beautiful picture, but what an interesting way that God kind of works in our lives. Whether it's to bring us to initial faith in him, or whether it's to open our eyes, to reveal himself a little deeper to us, sometimes God has to take away 
all of those distractions around us. Sometimes God has to bring us a pla- to a place where you and I are left alone and Jesus is the only person that we can look to. That's where this man is at right now. Even though he gained his spiritual, his physical sight, he lost a lot, didn't he? He lost his community. He lost his very identity. And he even lost his family. And, it, and, and we see that, that Jesus goes and he seeks him out. Here, this, even this man's mother and father, right, we know they sided with the religious leaders. They're like, you go ask him. And now he's put out of the synagogue. It reminds me of the verse. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And sometimes Jesus has to, God has to bring us to a point in our lives in order for us to see more clearly, to see more and more about who he is and what he's doing in our life. He gets rid of all of those distractions. And he brings us to a place where it's just the two of us. He goes out and he finds him. And really, he is, he is doing what he says in Luke, right? Why did the Son of Man, the very identity that Jesus reveals himself as, why did he come? He came to seek and save the lost. A divine sight is a, or a spiritual sight is initiated by God, and it is a product of divine revelation. How can this man understand reality or what is happening before him? How can he understand or know Jesus? What does Jesus do? Number one, he initiates the question. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he's referring to the Son of Man that is spoken of in Daniel, which we can coincide with the Christ or the Messiah, the, ones who the, the one who the Pharisees said, if you confess him to be the Messiah, you will be put out. And he asks him that question. He initiates the question. And then the guy says, well, who is he? Can you, can you tell me who he is? Because I don't know who he is, so I need you to tell me. And Jesus actually has to say, I am he. I am the, the one that you are looking at. What is that? That's divine revelation. All reality, everything that you and I see, has to be built upon this truth. This is it. This is how you and I... If you, look, look, if there are ideas or decisions that are made that aren't grounded or filtered through Scripture, they're going to end up being wrong. And we see the product of that in this world. This world is a bunch of people who are blinded to the truth, who refuse to see the truth, and who ignore this as God's understanding of reality and who we are, making decisions based on a worldview that they have created for themselves. And we see the disaster that that has led this world to. I hope that as we go through uh, the Gospel of John and, and, and every 
passage in Scripture that you and I, as, as believers, if we're believers in, in Him, or maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you can see how utterly dependent you and I need to be on this book, on God's revelation to us to understand what's happening. Because what's happening in, in churches is we're tossing out this. And we're trying to take insight and truth from the culture. And we're rejecting the light that He has to us. Every week we open God's Word, we allow Him to speak to our hearts and our minds, and I hope that we just don't listen. I hope that we apply. We have to see our utter dependence upon divine revelation. The reason why this guy can see eventually is because Jesus opens his eyes to the truth. Jesus reveals who he is. And we can see that spiritual sight, so it is a product of divine revelation, but we can see that spiritual sight, to spiritually see means that we recognize Jesus for who he is and we value him accordingly. We value him accordingly. I don't know if you guys heard the story, but this, one, this one's kind of uh, frustrating for me, but also it's why I do what I do when I go to Goodwills and stuff like that. This bowl was purchased at a yard sale. It's a really small bowl. It's probably yay big, not really that big at all. Uh, this bowl was purchased at a yard sale in Connecticut, in New England, so not too far from here. A guy paid $35 for it, and he was an uh, unidentified antiques enthusiast. So he kind of knew that this bowl was worth something, but I don't think he he realized how much this bowl was really worth. So if you take the three and the five and you break those two numbers up and add a bunch of zeros to each three and five, it's worth from $300,000 to $500,000. And this guy recognized it. And he didn't know it was worth that much, and then they appraised it. And I think it actually sold. I'm not sure for, for how much, but we're going to take a little, little eye test. We're going to do a little test here, see how your guys' um, yard sale picking vision goes. Okay, so... So here it is, uh, you have to your, your left there a little pig, right? This is carved by some lady, can't remember her name. Um, that's an item that is on eBay right now, that's not my item. And then in the, in the middle, so he's a jogging pig, just, I don't, just add that in there. So in the middle you got the Abraham Lincoln motto plate, uh, hand-painted, only a few of them done, 1909. And then you got the Wolfman Jiggler, everyone, that's 1971, 1973, Wolfman movie, real popular. Which one's worth the most? So we're going to do a little vote, okay? Which one, which one has the most value? Just by looking at these things, okay? Is it, anyone say the pig to the left? No, no, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. How about the motto plate? Abe, good Abe. Abe Lincoln, yeah, a bunch of motto plate. Yeah, makes sense, yeah. Abe, uh, a jiggler guy, Wolfman Jiggler. Oh, bunch on the jiggler, bunch on the jiggler. Well, one person got it correct. It's the pig. It's funny, isn't it? It's the pig. The, the pig is actually on eBay right now for $500. That pig. I sold, I found those pigs, three of them. Not the jogger, I found a jogger. So, and I didn't know, I had no idea at the time. Looked them up, figured them out, and I'm like, okay, take them home. Guy buys them. Next day, lots of money for pigs. The, the motto plate is actually worth the, the least. 
Everyone thinks it's going to be worth the most because it's Abe Lincoln painted, stuff like that. And then the Jiggler is actually like 300 bucks. So the Jiggler is pretty good. We found one of those uh, Jiggler guys too as well. What's the point? What's the point? You're like, why, why are you saying all this? Spiritual sight recognizes the value of Jesus Christ, his preciousness. Because so many people, like people who get rid of these things and will will be at a yard sale, they'll just pass over these things and they'll go for the things they think are valuable because they're using a different vision. And people pass over Jesus all the time. All the time. He's not worth it. He's of no value to me. He's of no use to me. He's just a man. He's just a carpenter. Spiritual sight recognizes who he is and how much he's worth. And I'll tell you what, he's worth more than anyone or anything in this world. Notice this man's response. Jesus, number one, it is, his spiritual sight is, see, I mean, is seen by, it acquired by faith. Three times the word believe is used here. And that's what faith is. It is seeing the unseen. And Jesus reveals himself to this man as the son of man, and he says what? I believe. But this belief, so there's two results that he has when it, this is revealed to him. When he re- reveals who he is, he places his trust in him, and he worships him. Belief and worship go hand in hand. This isn't an intellectual acknowledgement. Oh, you're the son of man. Nice to meet you. I'm just going to head off in my direction. To trust in Jesus Christ is seen in what he does next in worship. To trust in Jesus Christ means to give your life to him. To trust in Jesus Christ means that you are utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes the focal point of your life. To trust in Christ means to trust Him with our salvation. To trust Him to guide us in our life. To trust Him with every bit of us. Holding back absolutely nothing. And then he worships. He sees his true value. Above all else. Above everybody else. And he bows down before him. The two... The two are inseparable. We cannot be worshiping Jesus and worshiping God if we haven't given him our life. We often think of worship as singing, don't we? And that's, that's absolutely part of it. The, the word here, it means to bow down. And what a picture that is for what true worship is all about. When you bow down, 
we don't have that experience because does has anyone ever bowed down to anyone in here? Have you seen like some royalty where you had to bow down? Right, so no one knows what that's like. That encompasses your whole body, doesn't it? That is what it means to worship. Number one, it recognizes his authority. It is a submission to his authority. It is a recognition that I am unworthy of you. It recognizes his lordship over our lives. That's what worship is. Remember the Romans verse, Romans 12:1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. This is what is pleasing to God. If we think that worship is coming to church and singing songs with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him, that is not worship. And if we come to church on Sunday and sing worship songs with our lips on Sunday, but sin with our bodies Monday through Saturday, that's not worship. It's not. We're blind at that point. True worship doesn't hold back. It recognizes His Lordship, it recognizes His beauty, and it values Christ above all else. If we say anything about spiritual sight, the focal point is Jesus. That's the focal point of our spiritual vision. He's the center. We don't, there, there's no one else that matters. And we keep him in the center of our focus, offering ourselves every day. And guess what? It's not done in a corner. There are people watching, and I, I love that. I mean, when you think about where this guy has come from, right? And, and we, we got to see the progress of what is happening here and see how God is working in this man's heart from, from the get-go, isn't he? Notice how he begins to slowly see. So it all starts out when he opens his physical eyes, right? And the neighbors and everyone, they're like asking, who did it? And he says, what does he say? He says, the man called Jesus. He's, that's all he knows him. He's like, okay, he opened my eyes. I know of this guy called Jesus. And this is a process of faith for this guy. And then he's probably thinking about it. And he's like, well, wait a second. This guy's got to be more than a man. I mean, he, he cured me. And now the, the Pharisees are asking me a bunch of questions about him. They seemed a little concerned about him. So what does he say to the Pharisees? He's a prophet. See how he's increasing his sight? Letting him see more and more. And then what's the final answer? He's a son of man. Then he bows down and he worships him. That is how God works. And he worships him in front of all of those people who were threatening him. This isn't done in a corner. It's public. Because Jesus, right after this, is going to turn to those who are with him. 
So not only is this guy confessing Christ at this point, he's bowing down before him. These guys are probably like freaking out. <laughs> they thought that was bad, but that, I, I just love that picture uh, because true worship could care less about the world around us. True worship can care less what they're going to do to us. True worship doesn't care about their threats, doesn't care about what they're saying about Jesus. It focuses on Jesus and it bows itself down before him. That is seeing. That's what it means to truly see the reality of Jesus Christ and the truth that he says. The other ones are blind. They've missed it. And Jesus turns to them and we see that the result of this spiritual blindness is a judgment. So let's look at the second condition. So the first condition, spiritual sight, it's initiated by God. It's a product of divine revelation. It is through faith. It recognizes Jesus as the Messiah and it results in trusting in Him and worship. So now spiritual blindness, the second condition, verses 39 through 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not, those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with Him heard, who heard these things, and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. There was a construction worker. His name was Patrick Lawler. It'd be funny if his name was Patrick Aller. Sorry. A.W., come on, all? No? No. Okay. It'd be good if he was a lawyer and his name was Lawler. All right, anyway. He, he, he had this really bad toothache um, for, for about a week. Had this really, really bad toothache. He tried to take painkillers. Um, he tried to put some ice packs on to reduce the swelling. Nothing would touch the pain at all. His wife worked for a dentist, so he, you would think he would consult his wife first a long time ago, right? I, I don't know. Construction workers, what are you going to say? So, uh, sorry, this, this stereotype, is that bad? Patrick, you're all right. You're fine. So he goes and he asks his wife to get him an appointment, right? She goes to the dentist, and the dentist says, well, in order for us to assess what is happening, to see what's really wrong with your tooth, we need a, an x-ray. So they take an x-ray. They found out what was wrong with his tooth. Any guesses? He had something this big. Oh, is that four inches? About four-inch nail stuck. That just missed his, his eye. I know these sermon illustrations are getting pretty... Pretty graphic these days, aren't they? So what had happened was he had four-inch nail just right up there. <laughs> he didn't know it. It happened weeks earlier. 
And what happened was the, the gun, the nail gun, had backfired. And I guess this has happened before to, to people. So the, and I guess it goes in so quick that you just don't feel it. So they had to remove said the, the four-inch nail. And it, the surgery was successful. He's absolutely fine. At one point, it was funny because he even tried ice cream to soothe the pain. So here's, if he, the, what's the point of the story? If you don't know what the problem is, then guess what? The solutions are going to be wrong. And in this case, he needed an x-ray. He needed an extra set of eyes to see what is happening. The problem with people is they are blind. Apart from Jesus Christ, you and I can't see. We can't even see the problem that we have, and therefore, we can't see Jesus Christ as the solution to that problem. Blinded to their sin. And there, the problem will remain. The man needed an x-ray. The man needed a different set of vision. Uh, The Pharisees here absolutely do not see the problem that they have. Jesus pronounces a judgment, and and, and here we begin to see how what this blindness looks like, and and the results of this blindness are really, really scary, Uh, because the first result is a further judgment. That's what happens. Jesus says to the ones who think they see, I'm going to make them blind. I'm going to make hardened, their, their hearts become hardened to the truth. What, what do we think right now is happening in this world? How can people be confused about certain things regarding our gender, regarding the truth of humanity, regarding Whatever it is, how can people be confused about these things? It's because this is occurring. If you continue to refuse the light of Jesus Christ, it's only going to get darker. Logically, naturally, the things that this world is doing right now make no sense whatsoever. Why? They're blind. He talks about it in Romans. If you refuse the fact that God has created you and that you are accountable to Him and you continue to reject that and you turn and you worship yourself and you worship this creation, He will hand you over to that darkness. This is the only hope we have. And we're seeing a world that is spiraling down into this deep, deep and dark pit. And it's all because they refuse to see the problem that they have. Judgment. It's judgment. He's handing them over. You want to worship the creation? Then I'm going to make you like creatures who are absolutely mindless. There's a great book out. G.K. Beale, I think he does. And it says, we become what we worship. 
Ain't that the truth? You and I are going to reflect the very things that we keep our eyes focused on. If we keep our eyes focused on Christ, if you and I have Christ as the center of our vision, we're going to look like Him. If you and I focus on ourselves, if we focus on worshiping this creation, if we focus on worshiping our pleasures and our lusts, guess what? That's what we're going to look like. And that's going to get real ugly. It already has. But I want us to see something here. Part, part of that, we, what we have to understand is that they're blind. So this should be an encouragement to us to understand that, look, the reason why people are rejecting Christianity is because they can't see the truth of it. They can't see the truth of Jesus Christ. So you and I have to have compassion. We have to work with these individuals as we would work with physically blind people, right? If, if someone's physically blind and they're asking you about their reality, you're not, you're not going to be messing with them. You're, you're going to be trying to be gentle with them, uh, leading them in the truth. But we have to lead them in the truth. We have to tell them the truth and the reality behind their condition, and it is this condition that they just refuse to see. It's a denial of their condition. They think that they can see. They think they're all set. People refuse to see the sin in their own hearts. They just don't want to see it. Either they don't know it, it exists, or they turn a blind eye intentionally. They think we're all set. And the work begins right here. If you're sitting here today and denying that you have sin and denying that you are one day going to be accountable to God, you are only fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. Please don't do that. But, you know, Christians can fall into this area even though we have the light, sometimes we do what? When God reveals something in our hearts, maybe it's a sin issue. We want to kind of just be like, ah, oh, I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. Cover our eyes up. And then continue to move on like nothing happened. And the more that we do that, the worse it's going to get. The way in which you and I can be healed, and, and it's, it's funny because so many times uh, Christians are trying to deal with the consequences of their sin, and they're not looking at the heart of it. They refuse to see the heart of it. We're all guilty of it, right? We all sometimes we'll read the Bible and we'll just be like, I didn't read that and close that book up, and then we just kind of move on. And then we, we can ask people to make us feel better, you know, about something. And we can ask an opinion where we know the person is going to tell us exactly what we want to hear. Uh, that's not accountability. That's not how we walk in the light. John tells us about walking in the light. Walking in the light is walking in the truth. He also says, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar. But if we confess our sins, that's the process. Confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us. That's sanctification. Uh, we talked about in our class, right? Our sanctification class. Uh, it's part and parcel of the, the Christian walk. 
Uh, so, but one of our biggest problems is that we just refuse to see it. What's blinding these guys? What's, what's one of the, their big issues? It's pride, isn't it? It's spiritual pride. Uh, they think they're the ones who actually have the solution. Uh, Jesus talks about them uh, in Luke and calls them what? Blind guides. And what, what are they doing? They're leading people to a pit. So there's the blind guides who think they see because they are spiritually pride. They, they are trusting in themselves. They are trusting in their own righteousness, and then they're teaching people to do the same. Hey, if you follow these laws, this is how you get to heaven. But they're actually leading people in the opposite direction. Spiritual pride will blind you to your sin. It happens all the time. We just think that there's nothing wrong with us. We think that we got everything together and we think that we can point out the faults in other people. That is one quick way to smack straight into a wall. Is be taken over by spiritual pride because that's exactly what these guys are doing. They deny their condition and they are actually leading other people into the pit that they are headed towards. That's a great place to be. Part of our spiritual sight is just realizing that uh, you and I don't always see correctly and that we need God's help to see. That's what David says, right? Search me, O Lord. This is, this is part of the work. Search me, Lord. Let me, let me know if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the life everlasting. Spiritual sight means humility. Spiritual blindness means pride. We cannot look at other people and point the sins out in them unless we allow God to do a work in our own hearts. This is where it starts. Uh, these guys can't see it, and they, because of that, they remain in their sins. When he says, uh, if you knew you were blind, you would have no sin, he's not saying that it's completely gone. It means that the problem would be taken care of. If you knew you were blind and you couldn't see and you come to me, for healing and forgiveness. The blind individual remains in their sin. The problem is never taken care of. It's like the, the guy never went and got the x-ray. Guess what? Nail remains. It just stays right there. Uh, Jesus opens our eyes to the truth and we see that it's one of the first aspects of salvation is that, hey, I got a problem it's sin. And Lord, you, you sent the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. And if I trust and believe in Him and worship Him, that's it. If I believe of what, what He did for my sin, that He died for my sin, I can, I'm good to go. I'm healed. There's a, there's a finality here. 
isn't there with these guys. It's the judgment, but it's remaining in it. If we see Christ for who He is, here and now, with the eyes of faith, you and I are going to see Him one day face to face. We just sang about it. That's the reality. But if you and I continue to reject the light, continue to reject the truth, that's the pit. And when you fall down that pit, there's no getting up. It's a pit of despair. It's a pit of utter darkness. And it's a pit that doesn't see the light, the glory, the grace of God. That's the end result of being spiritually blind. Be careful if you think that you have 2020 vision and that vision excludes Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So what are the results of your spiritual eye exam? Can you see? Or are you blind? I remember walked, well, I didn't walk 24 years on this earth before Jesus. I crawled and then walked for a few years. 24 years went through my life thinking I knew it all, refusing advice of others, focused on one individual right here, and living in a reality in which I bumped in to a lot and a lot of walls. And then I remember when Christ opened my eyes. Kind of like that guy in the beginning of our illustration, I just, I wish it were sooner. But it wasn't. And I saw this world, and I saw Jesus in all the beauty and grace and love and compassion. Folks, don't remain blind. You're going to miss out. Jesus wants to open your eyes. And I hope, just like this man, we can say the refrain, I once was blind, now I can see. Father, thank you for the vision that you have given us. Lord, I pray that we continue to walk in the light of the truth of Jesus Christ, to walk in the light, the truth of the gospel, 
Lord, help us to continue to confess our sins before You. Lord, help us and use us to open the eyes of those who are blind through the power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, may the light and truth of Your Gospel, the light and truth of Jesus Christ, shine in our church, shine in our community, and shine in this world. We know it truly needs it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.